welcome to the Clean Clothes Podcast. In this series, we'll look at the challenges, strategies and gains of the Clean Clothes campaign. We'll share the stories and reflections of members from across the network. I'm Manny Mong. And I'm Fabriana Firdos. The Complete series starts in January and we have a lot to cover for you. We are going to talk about workers supporting each other during this pandemic time and making stronger laws that protect human rights. And we will look at the longer term, like how China is changing the global garment industry. Today, though, we have a shorter preview episode so that you can get a taste of what's coming. We're talking about the immediate impact of COVID and some of the things we might learn from that. We'll also look at how digital technology is reshaping the garment industry and some ways that campaigns need to respond. We will also look at what is needed to make women's rights stronger on the factory floor. We hope you will join our discussion. Tell us what you want to hear about and any experience you'd like to share with us. Please let us know. We will have contact details at the end of the show. COVID has upended the whole world this year. We know that garment workers have been some of the hardest hit. Hundreds of thousands of them have lost their jobs, brands cancelled orders, and many brands refused to pay for production that was already completed. Then, factory owners and garments used this to push through damaging policies that target unions and worker rights. So COVID's been a nightmare. But there's also a lot to learn from our response. One union leader who's been deeply involved in this is Amelia Yanti from the Gabungan Sarikat Buru Indonesia, or GSBI Union. Fabriana, you heard what Yanti had to say. What are some of the new ways they've tried to help factory workers? Yes, many. Thank you. So we spoke to Amelia Yanti from the Gabungan Sarikat Buru Indonesia. So this COVID-19 situation makes the worker groups think about being more creative to provide assistance to their members since they didn't get any assistance from the government. They decide to cooperate with several grassroots humanitarian and non-profit organizations. Firstly, they lobbied the National Commission for Child Protection, which provides assistance to children from parents who have lost their job or income. So they register the children of their members to the commission to get assistance. They also got assistance from Dompet Duafa, an Islamic philanthropist organization. But all of this assistance is temporary, many. So they are thinking about a long-term plan. So now they are working together with farmer organization by buying food like rice, fish, vegetable, and spices. So they distribute the food to members in the most affected areas. Yeah, working together with farmers organizations is a, a great move. For our listeners out there, please let us know about other alliances like this that have happened during COVID. Fabriana, did Yanti also say how union members supported each other? Yes, many. So in big cities such as Bukasi, it's a satellite city near Jakarta, well known as industrial area. They encouraged the other workers to donate some money to help other workers who are laid off and cannot pay the rent. 
menantang kami untuk bisa me, apa, menunjukkan solidaritas yang sesungguhnya. One important note from Yanti that the pandemic helped them show real solidarity among the workers. It's not just a slogan like people help people or workers help workers. The point about the pandemic leading to real demonstrations of solidarity is definitely a hopeful one. But Indonesia's government has pushed through very business-friendly policies under COVID. What's happened there? Yes, many. Around 6 million workers have been laid off across Indonesia during the pandemic, sometimes without compensation. And the situation is getting worse after the government passed the controversial omnibus law, which favors the business owner and investor, but strips significant protection for laborers. One of the most controversial points is the termination of employment that only benefits the company. The new bill reduced the severance of pay of the workers who terminated. Yanti said that the COVID-19 is a nightmare for them and the parliament and government simply didn't care. What are some of the things that have been learned in all of this? Yeah, so Yanti and other worker activists across Indonesia have been campaigning to reject the bill. It was very tricky because they couldn't organize protests in front of the parliament house and the politicians were taking advantage of the situations. If they did it, they were not only facing repression from the police, but also COVID-19 security task force. Eventually, the parliament partly discussed and passed the bill without consultation with the worker groups. So given this situation many, the worker groups now are thinking about a new strategy and a plan on how to organize workers without having face-to-face meetings. They are thinking about using social media. They actually already set up five online complaint channels and it was very successful. They managed to advocate some cases reported by the workers. Many, this is a pilot project and they are planning to develop this model further. Thanks so much, Fabriana. And thanks to Yanti as well. We'll cover COVID and responses to it in our first full episode next year. Defending women's rights is central to clean clothes campaigns. Of course, it has to be because the majority of workers in the garment factories are women. That means the impact of COVID comes on top of many other challenges. We spoke to Parvati Madaba at the Workers' Rights NGO CVDub in Bangalore in southern India. They have been working with women in the factories there for years. And the story of COVID is both tough and familiar. During this time of this pandemic, uh, what has happened is most of these women have lost uh, 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 their jobs. There are people who have been uh, forced to uh, uh, resign from the factories that they have been working in. Also, schools have been closed. The daycare centers where the children go, uh, kindergartens have been closed. So these women are ha- have been now forced to uh, choose between locking their children back in the house and then going to a job or care- taking care of the children. So uh, we have seen that the last few months have had an increased impact on 
these women who have been working in the garment factories. Along with everything else, sexual harassment cases in the workplace have become worse. In 2013, India passed a strong law against sexual harassment in the workplace. But like many other laws, it's not being fully applied. In our experience, we have seen that even uh, the workers are aware that there is something called the sexual harassment committee in the factory, but they really don't know what does or who are its members so what we did in the past is that uh, we we try and have like a fair kind of election and pray place for the uh, internal complaints committee um, of under which is uh, mandatory under the act so we try and have this election we try to train the supervisors we try to train the middle management and then we also do a hand-holding for one or two years within this committee to to ensure that they get in cases because we have and and we have seen this that uh, in one of the factories things have slowly improved workers are more aware and and i think with workers with especially these women we need to understand that the kind of uh, education or literacy rate is really low. Some of them might have just gone to school for three years or four years where some of them are not unable to um, make a written complaint. So uh, this, especially this uh, committee says that a complaint should be in a written form. So we try to um, train the workers constantly. There are other things like when we look at... Uh, the society as such actually we have seen that it's very difficult for women to even differentiate what is the kind of harassment what is uh, being un uncomfortable being in an uncomfortable situation though they know that it's not a comfortable thing but then they don't understand that there is a line of difference so these uh, constant trainings constant education to the workers is one of the keys to ensure that they are actually demanding for their rights it's not enough to train these women workers in their right. They also need to lead the fight for it. One example of this is the Garment Labor Union, GLU, a relatively new trade union in Bangalore. This is a women-led trade union. Uh, they were they they were formed in two thousand twelve and it's been eight years and they've they're still going strong. The number of members have been increasing by the year, and we've seen that once you give them the opportunity, they have become stronger leaders. So I think it's very important for organizations like uh, the trade unions, the uh, civil society organizations to give a chance or opportunity to these women to stand up and I'm sure that when this is done they are able to take their roles more seriously. We have seen this positive change that has been happening uh, at least around us where this women-led trade union has been able to uh, represent itself with uh, in the in the minimum wages board in the country I mean in the state they've also represented themselves an international platform so uh, I think if you just uh, let them be in inside a closed door, then they would be. But if you give them a chance to walk out of the door, I think they would be really good leaders. Parafati Madapa from Sivide.
The Clean Clothes Campaign Network is putting in an enormous amount of work to face up to the challenges of today. But big changes are ahead. Digital technology is transforming work and society across the world, and the garment industry will be no exception. We can already see this in online shopping and e-commerce. But this doesn't only change how people buy their clothes. It also means changes to how and where clothes are made and how we defend the rights of those who make them. Paul Rowland follows the implications of these changes at the Clean Clothes International Office in Amsterdam. We see an, a large influx of uh, direct-to-consumer uh, companies, companies like Shane, and there's a whole lot of others. Uh, also, there are a lot of influencers that tend to have their own uh, e-commerce on things like Instagram. And they often uh, it's very unclear where these garments are made, under what circumstances. There is no real company behind it to put pressure on it. So there is a whole new uh, wave of sort of like uh, direct to consumer e-commerce um, that is tied to really fast shipping. Um, to really short lead times and very unclear uh, corporate structures behind it. A lot of these new uh, Instagram things, it's really hard to find out who's, first of all, who's behind it. And uh, second of all, well, they don't have a headquarters, so you can't go protest at headquarters. So the whole strategy is uh, complicated. The implications of this, says Paul, is that some of the ways we campaign will have to change. The influencers sell on the basis of uh, popularity and their popularity can go quite quickly also when there are scandals. So I think it is also important uh, to have our end of uh, communication um, really up to date so that we can really quickly respond to anything that goes on. So that, um, because yeah, speed will be of the essence to, um, if there is something that uh, needs solving that you can immediately reach out and make, yeah, basically create a scandal out of it. And uh, you can't do that months later, you need to be move at the speed of the internet basically. Paul says this will also change where many garments are produced, including bringing this closer to consumers. Production will shift to places that have really good logistics and really fast logistics, um, meaning close to airports rather than seaports, because, uh, yeah, those kind of consumers uh, wait, uh, want next day delivery. So I uh, think that there could be nearshoring or reshoring to places uh, in Eastern Europe, in uh, the Middle East, um, but also uh, to places in Asia with uh, good transport uh, hubs, um, air transport hubs. Um, and there will also be uh, probably more production in, um, yeah, in, I would say, consumer countries uh, where there is enough of a cheap labor force. Think Los Angeles. These shifts are already happening at scale. The biggest garment e-commerce businesses are already worth billions of dollars. That means established brands are also coming under pressure. Paul thinks this could lead to op other opportunities to push for change. There might be an opportunity here to uh, claim uh, to ask for more uh, legal um, uh, binding measures um, also because this eats directly into the uh, into the business of the traditional uh, retailers who might now uh, want a level playing field. 
So there might be an opportunity to get them on board to get um, things like uh, mandatory due diligence, mandatory proof of uh, non-slavery, um, uh, get an import-export register. Um, I think we, we will need that mandatory step, um, but at, yeah, that's always going to be difficult if the giant brands are going to fight us on this, but this might be just the place where they are like, oops, this might hurt us also really bad. Um, so they might, on the basis of such a uh, level playing field uh, <clears throat> argument, decide that, um, yeah, they, they could support such a thing. The industry will look after this crisis, also how it's rebuilding, if they have to rebuild their supply chains anyway. Um, as the saying goes, never waste a good crisis. They will look for, um, yeah, for ways to increase their, their profits. So I do think we need to see, uh, to be very carefully monitoring how they're rebuilding the supply chains after the COVID crisis is over and what that means for workers um, and what that means for the future. That's Paul Rowland from Clean Clothes International Office. And that's our first preview episode for the Clean Clothes podcast. Join us for the first episode of the full series coming out in January. Subscribe and message and we will tell you when. And please send your thoughts, feedback and questions. Email us at this address, podcast at cleanclothes.org. I'm Manny Mong. And I'm Fabriana Firdaus.